everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Thriving Mosaic. I'm Stephanie Ravenscraft. And I have to say, like, I, I, I've, been, I've been putting this off for a little while. And I can't explain to you really, really why. But I had an idea of an episode that I wanted to share. It's actually, right now I'm doing an introduction. I'm going to share an episode of my podcast, The Full-Time Mom, from many years ago. This recording that you're going to hear was originally made on February 2008. So a very long time ago. And I won't listen back to myself. Just not something that I do. My husband was so, so kind to go in and to trans. Well, he didn't transcribe it. He put it through. I think I think he used Otter. And so he put it through Otter and got a transcription for me of this episode for me to read through. This is an episode that obviously I said I did in February of 2008, where I talk about my sexual abuse that I went through as a young child. And there are several reasons that I wanted to reshare this episode Sorry, I'm getting a little, I'm getting, I'm feeling, I'm feeling the emotions. I'm, I'm feeling all of the emotions. Let me tell you that reading back through this transcript was, it wasn't a trigger and it didn't put me back in that moment. But I, 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 I cried. I, I had tears for, for myself and where I was at, at that point in my journey and the little girl who, and the young adult woman who went through the things that I, I share in this episode. I also had tears of joy for the growth that I've had since 2008. And it was, it really was an eye-opening experience. I think that if I sat down, like had prior to reading the transcript, I think if somebody had asked, had sat me down and asked me about my journey, I probably would have shared it in a different way because I would have been sharing it through the filter of who I am now and not who I was then. And, and I hope you understand what I mean by that because there have, there, I, I'm not the same person I was in 2008. There has been tremendous growth and things have changed. So, drastically in how I deal with or how I have dealt with these circumstances that were my childhood. So I have to tell you, so here are some things that, here, here are just some things right off that I want to share before this episode starts. Number one, please do not listen to this with small children in the room. It, it's, it's just, just please don't. Number two, I was listening to this and here's another one of the things that I have now in the, what, 15 years since this episode originally aired. I, in those years, have put some things together and remembered some things more clearly. So some of the ages and and timeframes that I share are a little different. Not that it makes a, a, a difference in the grand scheme of, of telling the story because it's still the telling of the story. But there are, are some things that I was like, oh, well, that it's funny how you remember things just differently through a lens of trauma. And then when that trauma is in childhood, things don't always come out 
clear and you don't get a clear picture. So, so there are th- some things that I know now that just details and ages and stuff that, that are just a bit different, but they don't make a big difference into the, into the telling of the story. And I felt compelled to tell this because it is my heart's desire to help women break free from the bondage and the stronghold of abuse and circumstances of, of our past that hold us down. I can tell you that, yes, Stephanie Ravenscraft, well, obviously I wasn't Ravenscraft, but uh, Stephanie Snow was molested as a child. Stephanie Ravenscraft does not live with that every day. It is a page in the book of my story. And that's it. It is something that I went through. It would not, I would not be the woman that I am had I not gone through it. And I've accepted it for that reason, for the purpose that the healing and the growth that it has brought me is who I am today. I can't be who I am today without it. And that's not, that's not excusing it. That is not explaining away someone else's evil. That is accepting what is. And it is my heart's desire to heal and serve women in this way. And I felt it important to now, 15 years later, share this piece of my story so that I can share, I can continue to share the piece of the last 15 years because a lot has grown and a lot has changed. So I will tell you that when this originally aired, it was, it was not a dialogue, but my husband was present. He was in the recording with me and there were times where you know, I had to stop and pause the recording to, to take an emotional break. And he was there as a support for me. There were times when we did have some dialogue and some conversation. But for this retelling, for this resharing, he has gone through and edited the original episode for me. So there might be times where you like hear his voice, but then the rest of that is edited out. Please know that I know what has been taken out? I have read the transcript. Um, I read it before and I read it after. He left in the parts that I, I, I told him to. And so it is an edited version, edited version of the original. And you will hear him in there from time to time. But it does not take away from the telling of my story. I'm going to start off by saying I'm a little scared. (laughs) I'm a little nervous about going here. But let me tell you why. This episode is something that I never intended to do. But here is what happened. On episode 20, I had mentioned my excitement and my relief at the fact that I was molested as a child and that man was finally convicted and put in prison. I had mentioned that and talked briefly about that in episode 20 of The Full-Time Mom. So what I'm going to do today is I got, I mean, I know that I'm not the only, the only woman 
the only person because it doesn't just happen to to little girls it happens to boys also i know that i'm not the only person who has ever had to deal with some type of sexual abuse so i knew that there would be some feedback that would come in as a result of mentioning that and and talking about it but i never imagined the amount or i was overwhelmed for weeks at women who shared kind words who said i can never imagine anything like this happening this is not something that i you know i'm thankful that this is not something that i ever had to live through but but the way you share your story and the strength that you have is encouraging and those words are humbling so here is where i'm at today i got one email the day after i released that episode saying i admire the way that you are able to talk about your past and i wonder how did you get to a place not comfortable but i mean god has done an amazing work in my life where he has redeemed that and really given me an ability to talk about it and to share it without having to constantly rehash all of those negative and nasty evil demons that have followed me or that did follow me after So I got one email asking me to share how I came to a place today that I am. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not really sure this is the time or the place to talk about that. And so I just kind of put that away. And I started praying about how I would respond to that question, because I don't want anyone to ever think that it was of my own strength. And I got another one and another one and another one. And I think after probably like the ninth request to share my story a little bit deeper, I guess, I felt overwhelmed at the fact that, okay, maybe maybe this is somewhere where I need to go. It is my hope that I can do, okay, <laughs> this is, wow. Okay, I'm being real here, people. I'm being really real. Um, it is my hope to do great things and to touch people through this podcast. And it just became abundantly clear after that ninth email that I think maybe this is one way that I can. And so as soon as I can regain my composure, I'm going to share a little bit of my backstory and a little bit more about how God redeemed that part of my life. Okay, so I'm back and, you know, here. <laughs> I can't say that I'm necessarily better. I'm just, I'm here right now. So a little bit of my backstory is that, wow, when I was four years old, my mom remarried to a man from her local church. And I don't remember much about any of that happening. What I can tell you that that I have remembered is that when I was four, I was molested by my stepdad. And it went on for a while. And I've often thought that because I've had the opportunity to talk to teenage girls who have dealt with child sexual abuse or have been raped as a teenager. I I have had those opportunities to talk with girls about that in the past. And so I've often thought that maybe I should sit down with my mom and go over like maybe some of the, I think that I tend to over exaggerate the timeline, but I haven't. So I know that I was four and it went on for quite a while, for, for quite some time. Towards the end part of my kindergarten year at school, we had a police officer come into our class who talked about safety. And it was as simple as looking both ways when you cross the street to not riding your bike on the road and as deep as making sure no one is is touching you in, in an inappropriate manner. 
And they gave us a paper to take home for our parents to go over with us. So I remember taking the paper home. I remember my mom going through the folder and sitting down on the edge of her bed and her going over this paper with me like she was supposed to do. And so she said, you know, no one is supposed to, no one is allowed to touch you in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. Not mommy, not daddy, not grandma, not grandpa, you know, and listing all these different people and all of these different ways that I could be touched to make me feel uncomfortable. And, and, you know, keep in mind, I was five, you know, almost six. So she goes through this huge list of people. And at the end, when she was done and we had had our conversation, I said, well, mommy, does that mean Jerry? And she got this. I remember her. I remember the blood leaving her face. I remember the paleness of her expression in that moment, which is really something that I wish I could forget. So then the question started, well, you know, well, what do you mean? And how has he touched you in these things? So anyway, that is how my mom found out. I think that had it not been for that police officer coming to my class that day, it would have went on for a much longer amount of time. And she did not doubt me. She did not question me. She ended the marriage immediately. And then I, I was, you know, they did all the great you know, counseling things that you do with kids. I remember going to the counselor and the dolls and, you know, but that may be more than you want to know. There was a period where my mom was not married. It was just me and my mom and my brother. And then there there came a time when I was 10 for reasons that I do not recall. This man was actually in our life again. And uh, my mom, whom I love and it is not her fault and I don't blame her and I don't want you guys to think that. But my mom was a very naive person up until about maybe two years ago. And she'll admit that to you herself. I'm not, I don't want you to think that I'm saying negative things about my mom. But she, she was naive enough to leave me in his care again. And wouldn't you know, <laughs> he did it inappropriate things again, which um, my mom actually never knew about until till just recently when we had the discussion about his being arrested. So. Then I moved in, in with my dad shortly thereafter, and then the abuse ended completely. And I've always been grateful that for three years, I had absolutely no memory of what had happened at all. Because I remember things that had happened in that time where I actually got to be a kid. I don't remember a lot about, about growing up up until being 10 or 11. And I think that that's part of why I think that my, as a way of coping, my, my brain completely blocked out those years. And so my brain is so scattered right now. There's so many things that I want to say, but I don't know if I should or, or whatever. So anyway, here we go. So for three years, I, I blocked out all traumatic, you know, whatever. And when I was 13, I started having these horrible, horrible dreams. And I really couldn't stand it. And I went to my dad. I said, Dad, can we have a talk? And if you haven't heard me say it before, I have four brothers and three sisters. So private time with my parents was few and far between. But I told my dad, I said, you know, Dad, I really need to talk to you. And I really need it to be not here. We, you know, not in the house can we go on a drive or can we, can we go somewhere? So I remember driving down this country road because I grew up in the country and asking my dad, am I just a really sick and disgusting person that I would have these kinds of dreams or did something happen to me as a child? And he said, yes, something happened. I don't know the details of that, but something did happen. And so my dad and my stepmom 
put me in counseling again. (laughs) And I was able to go and talk to someone about these memories that were coming back through dreams. I have to say, as a 13-year-old girl, with all of the With all of the junk you're going through anyway at that age, that's not a good age for girls. And on top of that, I had this part of me that just felt dirty and unclean and honestly unworthy. So (laughs) anyway, I began to deal with these memories and to deal with what had happened At that time, I had no idea what had happened to this man. Well, you know, his name's Jerry. I'm not even gonna, I don't know why I feel like this obligation to hide his identity. I don't care. (laughs) But I remember when I talked about it in episode 20 and I had said his name and I came to you and I'm like, should I have done that? I'm like, no, wait, why am I concerned about hiding his identity? I really could care less. I had no idea what had happened to him. Or, you know, where he lived, if he still lived in the area, if he was dead or alive. And really, it didn't matter to me. But I think I, I, at such a young age, it's hard to say that I went through all of the, all of the proper, what's the word I'm looking for? I meant to say in the beginning that you shouldn't listen to this with young kids around. And I completely forgot. I apologize. So I can't say that at 13, I was able to handle it correctly. But I knew that there was something there. And I did. I already told you, I felt very dirty. I felt very unclean. And I think that that affected the way I was as a young teenager. I wasn't a promiscuous child, but it opened doors that I would have never imagined at 13 otherwise. It gave me an awareness of sex that I think at 13, I shouldn't have had. So it affected the way that I was as a young teenage girl. Now, I started dating Cliff. And there was, there was a part of me that knew that he was meant to be my husband. But on the surface, there was this, I like this guy. He's a lot older than me. I should probably sleep with him. So, you know, he doesn't go find somebody else who will, because that's what my dad always told me. If you don't give it up, somebody else will. That's how my mom got me, because that's what he told her. (laughs) Anyway, my dad has <laughs> always been very open about sex, and that's how he was raised. That's what he thought. Anyway, so I did. And I had kind of, you know, put behind me my past. I think it still affected not my everyday life, but pretty close, pretty close. And then as I started devoting my life to Christ more and wanting to grow up, you know, I think I felt trapped in childhood for a long time because of that. So as I started to to grow up and, and to really explore my faith a little bit more, I realized that, you know, maybe I wasn't normal. I really, that's how I felt. I did not feel normal at all. And so when I was, I got married when I was 18 and, and dealing with my past abuse in my early marriage, was not fun. It took a very long time. It took a very long time into our marriage before, for me, before sex was what it was meant to be between a husband and a wife. It was still very dirty and very shameful for me. And that was very hard on our marriage. So there, there came a point where I said, okay, I can't do this anymore. I need to find a way to deal with this. And so... I sat down with our pastor one day 
and said, I'm, I just, I, I'm not right. I don't feel healthy. I don't feel sane. And um, I'm really, I'm really struggling here. And so through that conversation and through that time with him, which was not just one day, it, it was a course of time, a course, a period of time. And um, what I had learned was that I was, I was holding on to anger and bitterness and resentment. I was, I felt robbed. So anyway, what I learned was <laughs> that holding on to all of that was not hurting Jerry. It was not hurting him at all. He had, it, it just, it wasn't bothering him one bit. The only thing that not forgiving him was doing was torturing me. So I made a decision that day to forgive him. Just that decision. I just said, okay, I'm going to forgive him. It wasn't instantaneous. It wasn't a feeling. It wasn't, you know, this all-consuming peace that came over me. It was a decision. And in making that decision every day for the next probably six to eight months, I woke up and I said, I've forgiven him until it became real in my heart. And, and even now, even, even in the, in, in past, um, I will, I I will start to dwell on it and, and things that, that, um, acts that, that he did to me. And I'll say, no, stop. I've forgiven him. I I've moved on from that. And so I don't let myself, I don't let myself dwell on it because it's not hurting anyone but me. Well, that's not true. It's hurting the people around me too, because (laughs) it completely affects. And I mean, how we deal with it and how we, how we take it affects everyone around us. And so I made a decision that I was going to work on that because I wanted to have a good marriage. I wanted to have a good relationship with my mom. I wanted to not be afraid of every man that I ever met. It was simply, it was something that I needed. I I needed to to let that go. And and so I, I made that decision to do so. And it really, it took a good long time before I started to feel comfortable in my own skin and meeting people and just living, just being. I think that that is the point when I said, when I made that decision to forgive him, I really started being me, just being me, learning who I am. And that, that that was a long process for me. Then Cliff and I got the most wonderful news that we were having a child. <laughs> and I never, I mean, it had been several years that that process had begun. And I really felt like I was to a place where I was, I was happy in myself and confident in myself. And then I got pregnant and I never imagined that my pregnancy would affect my mind in the way that it did. Because not only did I start feeling terrified for my child that that this would happen to them, but it took me back to being a child as well. And so I, I almost felt like when I was pregnant with Megan, and these are things that I have not shared with anyone, not even Cliff, but when I was pregnant with Megan, I really felt like I had to start all over again. When 
I found out I was having a daughter. I mean, I had the, the fear, the terror when I found out I was pregnant. But when I hit that 21 week mark and I went to the ultrasound because let me tell you, I was convinced I was having a boy and um, because I think I needed to believe that in my heart. I needed to I needed to think that. And when I went to the ultrasound and they actually told me that I was having a girl, I think my terror doubled because I was just scared to death that this would happen to her. So I started all over again and I said, no, I have forgiven him. I have moved on from this. I am not going to touch my child inappropriately I would I was terrified to change her diapers I thought I would I don't I really I thought that I would touch her the wrong way or somebody would think I was touching her the wrong way I was terrified of having this little girl and thinking that I would harm her so every day no I've moved on from this I'm not like that I'm not like him I'm I'm better than that and I would never never hurt my child so really when I had Megan I started all over again and again came to a place where I was happy in myself and I was content with myself and then Megan was probably just over a year old when I had the first real opportunity to witness to another young woman who was dealing with past abuse to that had happened to her she she had been molested as a child so this was my first opportunity to say you know wow you are where I was yesterday you know or the day before because it really was at that time a daily process for me and once I shared my story with her and we prayed together I really felt that peace and that calmness and that feeling now you cannot see my air quotes but I do them all the time (laughs) that feeling that I thought I would get from speaking the words I have forgiven him I got the first time I got to share my story with another young woman and that's the first time that I really felt that God had redeemed my life and I need a moment Okay, and I went, after that experience with that young girl, I honestly went for, I could probably tell you, two years, three years. I, well, I think, it, I think it was two and a half, two and a half years without a thought, without even a thought. I really, it, it was great. I had another baby. I was happy in my family. I was becoming... Well, I was becoming who you know today (laughs) as, you know, as this person who I love life. I love my life. I love my God. And I'm not going to let anybody stomp on me (laughs) because I I think that that I've had enough of it. I have become it, it was in that time when I found myself and who who God wanted me to be. And then this crazy little thing happened. Crazy little thing. My daughter was getting ready to turn four. And that meant something. Well, to me, that meant something really bad. (laughs) You know, I felt this extra need to watch her like a hawk everywhere I went. I was terrified to leave her with my parents, Cliff's parents. 
anybody. That was a really, really a hard time for me because it had been so long since I had even thought about where I had come from. So I started um I started saying, Okay, I'm past this. I have forgiven. I have been forgiven and I have moved on. But that wasn't working anymore. It was like it was like I was right back when I was thirteen. And it just was amazingly painful inside to be I'm really sorry, people. It was amazingly painful to be inside myself. And I couldn't close my eyes without seeing his face. I couldn't close my eyes without hearing his voice. I couldn't close my eyes without seeing that apartment. It was an awful time. And I, and then I remember buying this book, this stupid self-help book. But I had bought this book and I set it on my dresser. And I never touched it. It just sat there. Until one night I was sitting on the couch watching TV. And Cliff came in. He said, Stephanie, are you coming to bed with me? Which is what he said to me all the time. And the majority of my abuse when I was four happened at bedtime. In his bed with my mom sitting in the next room. And so... With those words, I really, I was four again. And I said, I cannot live like this. I cannot live like this. And I remember picking up that book, which I didn't, I never finished. All I did was pick it up. I can't even tell you where it is this day. But I remember picking up that book and I opened the first page and it said, yada, yada, yada. You know, you can do this and you can do that and you can do this. And I said, look, I said, God, I cannot go on like this. I cannot do it anymore. I have forgiven him. I have forgiven myself. I have, which, duh, it wasn't my fault. (laughs) I didn't do anything (laughs) wrong. (laughs) But, you know, I've, I've forgiven my mom because I can tell you now, it was not my mom's fault. That man was evil. She had no way of knowing that. But at 13, I didn't know that, you know? So I started again, waking up every day. I've forgiven him. I've moved on. I can move on with my life. And that probably took, that probably took another, that, that didn't take as long. It really didn't because I think in, in deep in my heart, I knew that I had risen above this. Well, not, I I don't want to, those aren't the right words. Those aren't the right words. I knew in my heart that this was not going to control who I was, who I am. And so where today I can tell you it has affected who I am. It does not control who I am. You know? My name's Stephanie Ravenscraft, and I'm a sexual abuse survivor. But I do not harbor on it every day. I do watch my children cautiously, but I am not paranoid. I don't know what else I would say. 
Yeah, I I don't know what else I can say. I don't even know if this is going to help anybody. But hey, this is what I did. This is where I came to know who I am, who I want to be, and how I'm going to let my past affect my future. I said, I can't live like this anymore. I have got to make a change. And in that, I made a decision to forgive a whole lot of people in my life, including myself, and wake up the next day free. And I didn't do it by myself. I did it with the grace and love of my Heavenly Father. I did it with the patience and understanding of my husband. And I did it with the people around me who love me. So that is where I can tell you that I am so excited. (laughs) I've never been so excited for someone to be in prison before in my whole life. Well, except on TV. I get pretty excited about that. But the man who abused me is now in prison. He was convicted on two counts of child molestation for abusing a four and a five-year-old, which he openly admitted to or confessed to. And so, you know what? I woke up the next day relieved. It felt like it felt like a weight had been lifted off of my mind. I know most people would say shoulders, but it was lifted off my mind and my heart. And I know that not everybody gets that. So I I find that to be I find that to be precious to me because not everybody gets that. I consider myself blessed that I don't have to to ever face them again. You know, I know that you know, some people are abused by family members who they have to still be in contact with. So I find it very precious to me that that he is in prison and that um, the comfort to know that he won't be hurting anyone again. And I have to tell you people, <laughs> you know, keeping it real, I kind of hope that he's getting hurt. <laughs> You know, I kind of hope that like people are beating him up. <laughs> I do. I, I, well, it's not a secret anymore, but it was before. I was kind of secretly <laughs> hoping that he was getting his butt kicked. You know, I, I try to, um, I try to teach my children. Well, there's a funny story that actually came out of this because I was terrified to have a daughter. And so always, I, I think that I always said it to Megan, even when she was an infant newborn, can't understand me telling her as I was changing her diaper or giving her a bath, getting her dressed, any time when she was naked in front of me, telling her no one should touch you in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. No one is allowed to touch your vagina without your permission or giving you a bath. I always said that to her, always. And then I took her to our pediatrician for her two-year oh, yes. well-child checkup. And he goes to undo her diaper to check her vaginal area to make sure it's developing correctly. And she kicked him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and through my humiliation, <laughs> I was mortified. I had to explain to him that I had taught her that nobody is allowed to touch her. And uh, Megan was a very bright two-year-old. She could already speak in sentences and stuff. And so (laughs) she, uh, 
she told him nobody's like i didn't give you permission to touch me there and uh so then maybe i laid off for a little while <laughs> maybe i overdid it a little but i'm always making sure that my child my children are aware that there are there are mean people in the world there are untrustworthy people in the world you don't know who they are i think that it was very important for my kids to understand that a stranger is anybody that they don't know because i was finding that a lot of the listening to people around us explain strangers to my kids made them seem like these monsters off of television these crazy creatures and characters and so i said no that that's not what a stranger is honey a stranger is anybody that you do not know it could be the the man next to us in the grocery. It could be the lady that lives next door. A stranger is anyone that you do not know, that your mom and dad do not know. And to make them not paranoid, but aware. Okay. Heavy, right? <laughs> um, heavy for me. I I really want... I don't even know how to put it into words. If you resonate with my story, if you have a similar story, if you have a trauma, it is my heart's desire to serve and help you heal. If that is something that that you are interested in, please email me at stephanie at ravenscraft.org in the subject line, you can put a Thriving Mosaic episode number. I don't know off the top of my head what episode this is. And we can set up a time that we can chat and we can make a connection. We can do that. I am putting together, I'm putting together a workshop that the first one will be in March. And it is, again, along the giving you the tools, giving you, not giving you, but helping you find the tools and the freedom to live without these things weighing you down. And if you are interested in that, you can reach out to me and you can in the, again, Stephanie at ravenscraft.org and in the subject line put thriving, it's free to thrive workshop. I don't know why my brain just stopped. Anyway, free to thrive workshop, put that in the subject line. You can get on a waiting list. This first workshop is happening in March. I am so excited to serve women and to break the bondage of of the things that are weighing us down from being who we were intended to be. It is absolutely my next phase of my not not the next the next stage of my life. And I would love to be a part of your journey to freedom. You guys, thank you so much for listening and for being here. And until next time, live your life on purpose.